Turn to John chapter 20. In our passage this morning, as we, as we begin reading, Jesus has already been crucified. And Mary Magdalene came to the tomb after he had been buried for three days and found it empty. The tomb was empty. And so she went and told Peter and John, and last week we read about and studied Peter and John coming to the tomb, finding it empty, and John's statement that he believed. And what a beautiful thing that is. Long overdue on the part of Peter and John to believe the promises and believe all of the words that Jesus had been telling them. But then as they, as they see the empty tomb and they believe, they go away. And Mary returns to the tomb, and Mary is weeping. She is distraught over the loss of his body. She does not come to the same conclusion, seeing the empty tomb, that John does. She does not look in and believe, but she continues to mourn and to be filled with sadness rather than believing in his resurrection. And yet, Jesus has mercy on her, first sending angels to speak to her, to be a a direct, a more direct sign of his resurrection, and then appearing himself to comfort her. And yet, uh, her error continues And just like the disciples before Christ's death, and just like the Jews who put Jesus to death, and in many ways, just like us, she is intent on limiting the Messiah to this physical life. And so in our passage, we see Jesus correcting her by speaking of his upcoming ascension. And he sends her away with a message about his ascension to his disciples. So as we read, note the greatness of Christ's resurrection isn't what Mary thinks it is, or what we are inclined to think it is. Rather, his resurrection leads directly to his ascension. And that is truly the great end of the promise that we receive. So please stand for the reading of God's word from John chapter 20, verses 11 through 18. But Mary was standing outside the tomb, weeping. And so as she wept, she stooped and looked into the tomb, and she saw two angels in white, sitting, one at the head and one at the feet, where the body of Jesus had been lying. And they said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, Because they have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. When she had said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there and did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him, and I will take him away. Jesus said to her, Mary. 
She turned and said to him in Hebrew, Rabboni, which means teacher. Jesus said to her, Stop clinging to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. But go to my brethren and say to them, I ascend to my Father and your Father, and my God and your God. Mary Magdalene came, announcing to the disciples, I have seen the Lord, and that he had said these things to her. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. We often misunderstand the nature and purpose of our suffering, why we are going through difficulties, why difficulties exist, uh, what they mean. And Mary is troubled by the fact that Jesus' body is missing. And that's her suffering. Her suffering in this text, the weeping that she is doing, is because Jesus is dead, but it's because she wanted to do something with his body. And that's what makes her filled with sorrow. That's what makes her weep. That's what makes her plea with who she thought was the gardener to tell where the body has been put. And of course, all of that weeping, all of that aspect of her sorrow, that's what makes her, that's what makes her ignore the angels and turn away from them without, without hope. And all of that sorrow, all of that suffering that she's going through, all of that, all of that being troubled is actually caused by the fact that Christ has risen. That's the only reason Jesus' body is missing, because he has risen. And so Mary's weeping, Mary's being troubled by what she sees as a very sad, sad thing, that not only has her Lord and Savior been crucified, the one that she was looking to for all of her hope that she believed was the Messiah and did not understand, just as the disciples didn't understand, that he had to die and be, and be raised up again, right? All of that sorrow comes to bear on her, and what she wants to do is she wants to be able to go to the tomb and mourn. And you can think, you, I mean, you, you can acknowledge that this is, this is reasonable, this is natural, that we want, to, we want to be able to go to the tomb, we want to be able to uh, mourn where the body of those that have died, that we loved, is buried. We want to go be able to put flowers there. We want to go be able to, right, this is... This is what she's after. This is what she wants to do. And when she finds that the body isn't there, where is she going to put the spices? Where is she going to, how is she going to honor his body? And so she mourns. And yet, again, the missing body should be a source of joy for her, right? The missing body was what caused John to look into the tomb, see the body's not there, and and then he believed. 
he believed that Jesus had risen from the dead. His body is missing because he is resurrected. And so often, this is the way it is with us in our suffering. That we are sad and sorrowing over things that are actually good for us. Painful though they are, it's through our, it's through our inability to see, it's through our lack of knowledge that we, don't, that, that we don't have any understanding of what is being accomplished through our suffering. Or what caused our suffering is, is actually a good thing. That we're suffering needlessly, that we're suffering because we do not have faith, because we do not believe. So often, when things don't go the way that we want them to, we're so down about it, so depressed, so sad, right? And then what? Later, sometimes years later, sometimes just minutes later, you find out how happy you are that it didn't go the way you wanted it to go, right? If it had gone the way you wanted it to go, it would have been terrible. And you find out that actually, it's a great joy to you now that the body is missing. That the body isn't still there. It's a good thing. Right? This is what happens with Mary. Her, her sorrow, her sadness, her suffering is without any reason. And it's simply because she does not believe. And so in this way, we are to be like John, not like Mary, right? And yet, Jesus appears to whom? To Mary, not to John, right? And everybody is in agreement that this is a true honor to Mary, that the first person to see Jesus resurrected from the grave is Mary. And if you read in some of the other Gospels, uh, you bring some other details into the story that there were, there were some other women present. And, uh, and as, you, as you go through the next, the next few weeks and months after Jesus is raised, um, it's such a sweet thing that Mary and the other women were there this morning, and it is appropriate that they were seeking out his tomb. It's appropriate that they were seeking to honor him in his death. Just like it was appropriate that Joseph and Nicodemus took the body and buried it, right? Now we also, like Mary seems to have done, often fall into the idea that this physical world is all that we have. Now if you remember last week, last week we were looking at Peter and John coming to the tomb 
And I emphasized the necessity that this was a physical, bodily resurrection, that this was not some sort of purely spiritual thing that happened, but that he was bodily raised from the dead. The body was missing. Why? Because the body was resurrected, not just somehow his spirit. Right? And yet this week we come to an opposite, the opposite side of the same, the same kind of error of separating the spiritual from the physical realm. Okay? And what Mary seems to do here in her, in her uh, grabbing onto his feet is to make much more of the fact that he is physically present than she ought to. Because what does Jesus say to her? He says, stop what? Stop clinging to me. Stop touching me. And then he gives a reason why. And the reason is because he has not yet what? Has not yet... He's been resurrected, but he hasn't yet what? Ascended to the Father. Exactly. And so, we've touched on this, we've touched on this topic, this issue, over and over again in the book of John, that the Jews want a Messiah who will deliver them in a physical manner. Deliver them from the Roman rulers, the, the, the Roman oppressors. Who will deliver them from all the suffering that there is in this life. And that that's all the further that their, that their understanding of the Old Testament promises of the Messiah went. They didn't look at the whole Old Testament. They didn't look, they, they ignored many parts of what the Old Testament promised that the Messiah would do and be. And we saw the same thing in the disciples, and now we see the same thing with Mary. She seems to have the same idea. She seems to be delighting herself in his, in his physical earthly presence in a way that he will not allow. Now, why do I say seems? Well, because, you know, all that it says is that she was clinging to him, that she was down, well, she was, she was down on her face, right? Because it was his feet. And so she is, she is worshiping, and we know that Jesus doesn't have a, prom, a problem with people worshiping him, right? We've seen that in other contexts. And we also know that there's not some sort of absolute prohibition against his body being touched before his ascension. How do we know that? We haven't, we haven't gotten that far in John yet, but if, if we read further, we know that uh, after his resurrection, he lets people touch his body, right? Doesn't he tell Thomas, stick your fingers in here and feel here with your hand in my side? And so it's not that there's some sort of like, it's not like he's radioactive until he goes to heaven, right? And and this is about the only way that we could figure out, well, you know, I guess you can't touch him until he goes up to heaven. I don't know why, but there must be some, like, maybe it's dangerous or something. Are you, are you with me? 
But that's, that's clearly not what's going on because we know Jesus is fine with people touching him. There's something about the way that Mary is touching him that he is unwilling to allow her to continue doing. Right? And it's her clinging to him. And, what, and if you look at the whole passage and you understand she has not believed in his, in his resurrection as she saw the empty tomb. She has not believed in his resurrection as she saw the angels. She has not believed until she saw his physical body there. And then all of a sudden, what does she do? Well, she's clinging to it. And she, you know. And what does he say? He says, actually, I'm, I'm going again. I'm leaving again. I'm ascending to my God and your God, my Father and your Father. And so this is the correction to Mary, and it's the correction to us. Just as we saw corrections to Peter and John and the rest of the disciples, now we also have the correction to Mary, and we're, we're turned away from making salvation in this life the only thing. Salvation in a physical sense the only thing. Or resurrection into the pleasures of this life. Jesus' physical presence and relief from all the trouble in this world isn't the benefit we really need or want. What we want Jesus to do is to go up to heaven and prepare a place for us. Right? And so Jesus, has, in speaking to his disciples prior to this, you remember that he has explain to them that he is going away, right? And this is, this is the thing that they object to when he says, I'm going to go away, and, and then they object to his dying. But Jesus' statement that he's going away extends beyond simply this three days where he is dead and in the tomb. When he says that he's going away, he is speaking of his, his not just his death, he promises that he will return, he he explains to them that he has to die, that he has to be raised, and then that he has to go to heaven. And he's already gotten done telling them that it's a good thing that he does because then he can send the Holy Spirit. Right? And so, just as we saw in that in studying that text where he says it's a good thing that I go away, we see it again here. Jesus is saying to Mary that he's going away, that he's ascending to his God and our God, his Father and our Father. And the implication there is that that's better for Mary than having him physically present. That it's better for us. We don't need a man who comforts us, physically present with us. What we need is God himself, who is sitting enthroned in heaven, king over all creation. And that only happens when Jesus is raised and ascends to heaven. 
until that happens, happy as his resurrection is for Mary and for us, we don't have hope of glorification. What is glorification? That is when we are made holy. That is when we are brought into God's presence, when we are united with him to live with him for all eternity. That's what we're looking forward to. So we've got two errors with regard to the physical and the religious, the spiritual, right? The one is to say that this earthly body just doesn't matter. That, this, that, that it just doesn't matter that Jesus was raised spiritually, that we'll be raised spiritually, and nothing that happens to or with these bodies is of any consequence, and that they're not going to be raised up again and made anew, that it's just going to be some sort of ethereal, ethereal spiritual union with God. It's all mystical. But the other error is to say, I have to have Jesus here with me physically. I need some sort of physical proof right now. I need some physical relief right now. I need a salvation in this life from the problems of this life. And Mary is typifies that error right here in this passage where she's unwilling to be comforted by the fact that his body is missing. She wants him physically there, one way or another. And he's unwilling to give her that because it's not good for her. It's not good for his body to remain in the tomb so that she can be happy and be putting spices on it. And it's not good for him to then be raised and then stay here forever. It's good for him to be raised and then go to the Father. Now, I've, I've a couple of times already repeated what he says. My God and your God, my Father and your Father. And that is so, so central to us receiving this as good news. To us receiving this as tr- a truly happy thing. That Jesus isn't sitting over there in that chair. Right? This is, Jesus is saying, it's actually good for me to go and ascend to the Father. And why? Well, it's because through Christ's work, we are made sons of God. And where he is going, we cannot come with him right now, is what he says earlier in the book to the disciples, but we can go there. But only because he has gone there. And so he has made God the Father our Father. And so you read that passage, you read the promises, you read him saying, Stop clinging to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father, but go to my brethren and say to them, I ascend to my Father and your Father, and my God and your God. And what is that? That is... 
that's a corrective to Mary. Just like so many of the things that he says to his disciples correct them, right? Undercut that whole, their whole line of thinking, their whole way of thinking about what it means to be a follower of Jesus. Mary's whole way of thinking about being a follower of Jesus is a lot like the disciples' way of thinking about being a follower of Jesus. It's that I've got to have him in my physical presence. But actually what we need is for him to go and prepare a place for us. We need him to go to the cross and die. We need him to be raised And we need the hope that all of those things together bring us. That we can be sons of God. And that with Jesus saying, my God and your God, my Father and your Father, that is a promise. That is a statement of truth. It's not not some... uh, Secondary thing that doesn't matter. It's, it's central to what he's correcting Mary of. And it is central to our faith that we can be sons of God. And this is exactly what the Jews rejected. This is exactly what the Jews denied that Jesus could ever accomplish. He claimed to be the son of God. And this is What they say to Pilate, they say this is why he has to die, because he claimed to be the Son of God. And Jesus was put to death then and raised from the dead. One of the first things that he says is what? My Father. And and how many times has he said, my Father, in the book of John? Over and over and over he talks about his Father. And then when he is raised and he says he's going up to heaven to his Father, what does he say? He says, and your father. My father and your father. That is a sweet, sweet promise. It's a sweet promise to Mary, and it's a sweet promise to us. And we've already talked in the past about the, about the, the joy and, and the comfort that we receive by him going up to his father and sending the Holy Spirit. But setting that to the side, which is not something to set to the side, right? But setting it to the side, you have this this perfect statement of fact that he is our Father and Jesus' Father. Do you have God as your Father? How can you have God as your Father? The only way you can have God as your Father is through Jesus Christ. If you make Jesus Christ the Lord of your life, then God is your Father. But if Jesus Christ is not your Lord, if you, not, if you like Mary, cannot fall down on your knees and say, Rabboni, teacher, master, then there is no statement, my father and your father, from Jesus Christ. Today, we also have the joy of a baptism, and a baptism is a wonderful thing. 
but we are always tempted to look to the physical in a way that is inappropriate. And that's exactly what I want to say before this baptism, is that this, this passage actually is a, a sweet... Um, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? It's a... Uh, it's a, it's a corrective. I can't think of the word I'm looking for. It prevents us from falling into counting on baptism to accomplish more than what God has intended and promised for baptism to accomplish. Okay, what do I mean by that? Well, unless we have faith, Counting on baptism, saying, well, I've been baptized, is just like Mary grabbing at the feet of Jesus, being like, I've got Jesus. I've got him physically. And Jesus is saying, no, 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 no. let go of my body. I am grasped through faith. I am grasped through faith not through some physical grabbing onto my feet, not through some physical baptism, right? And that is what allows him to continue to be grasped even while he is not physically present, even while he is up in heaven. Jesus says, no, you need to be brought into my family. You need to have my father as your father. So don't make this physical life into more than it is. Don't dismiss your physical body and say it doesn't matter. And don't try to make the salvation of Jesus Christ into some sort of solution to the things that you don't like about your life right now. Or you're going to fall into the error of Mary. All the time we swing back and forth between those two kinds of errors. Jesus is grasped as he is in heaven. By faith. And that is what gives us the joy of saying, Our Father, of being able to pray to Him, not just as God, but as Father, personal, loving, tender to us, who sends His angels to Mary and who sends His Son back to appear first to her and then to give her the good news that he is ascending. Let's pray.